0: Look out, something that's going to get you tonight. Let's talk about the thing that's going to get you tonight. Welcome to the Happy Harvest Horror
1: Show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian, and this is my good friend, S.A.U. and we are today's episode of the Happy Harvest Horror Show where every week we get together and talk about spooky things and spooky culture spooky topics and today we got a really fun spooky topic but first I want to introduce my friend S.A.U. hello how are you
2: I am doing so great thank you so much for having me I'm just so happy to be in the room hell yeah well I'm happy to be with <laughs> you
1: especially uh, across the world if anyone didn't know you are currently in the future
2: in new I zealand am, time indeed yeah i'm it's wednesday it's two thirty, and as far as i know the sky is still above me and the sky <laughs> the sun
1: has long left us <laughs> it's the traded sides Switch sides went to you left us in the dark so and i are friends from new york city he's also a fellow actor and also appreciates spooky topics uh, so he was a perfect candidate to come on today's show. Um, and S.O., I know uh, you've listened before, but this is how we start every episode. We like to ask, how spooky
2: was your week? So, S.O., how spooky was your week? Spooky was my week. It was relatively spooky, I would say. Um, we have been trying to watch more horror films Thank as a household. Yes, I could. <laughs> it's a good initiative. I support it. We, we made a commitment to our Lord um, and to watch more horror films. <laughs> and, and that's what we've been doing. Um, we watched His House on Netflix.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Our minds. Wonderful. Oh, man. I felt like it went totally under the radar last year. Um,
2: I didn't even know about it.
1: Yeah, I saw it on a couple like top 10 lists of 2020 and one night without really thinking much of it, because I feel like Netflix original movies are really not many times a hit. <laughs> so I put like, it on. Middle not- of the road. Total exactly. middle of the road. Yeah, exactly. And I put it on expecting that and I was riveted. Like, what a fucking movie.
2: Which just like a spectacular intersection of horror and uh, like uh, immigration story, like which yes. I think is so, it's so long overdue. Like it kind of shocks me that there aren't more films that exist in that in that area. Totally, but it really scared me tremendously. Uh, it's horrifying. <laughs> oh man, we keep talking about it, and we're just like, and that's been the spooky thing that we keep thinking about as we walk our dog and imagine <laughs> a tsunami taking her from us. Oh gosh. Uh, no,
1: I thought it was I thought it was brilliant because that is a terrifying ordeal being refugees and in another place and and in this scary other place that puts these ultimatums and scary guidelines on you that like you have to play by these rules and or you're out you know and it's
2: um, you maneuver through your trauma which is just like a for anyone who hasn't watched it it is it is an amazing addition to your week i agree and it's on
1: netflix so it's free you already own it it's that's on there it's it's It's, it's already (laughs) yours what are you waiting for (laughs) how uh what else have you watched
2: what else have i watched i did a deep dive and just like needed control so i've been watching king of the hill all over again it's (laughs) it's it's like free in new zealand it's on TVNZ, (laughs) as they say Unzubbed. Okay. Um, so I've been watching King of the Hill and I've also watched all of Bojack Horseman. And I was watching re-watching some research pieces for our conversation today. Oh um, yes. So that's been very fun.
1: It's uh we can't say anything about it, but um, um I don't say anything. Or I can say anything about it, but I'm excited for you. we our last episode, even though it's going to be a week apart, we recorded our last episode just like a couple days ago. So I feel like I already talked about all my spooky shit, and the audience already knows. But I guess um, I, in preparation for today, I rewatched uh, or kind of skimmed through it. Dario Argento's opera. Have
2: you heard? Of, have you seen this movie? No, I've never seen that.
1: It's. I mean, it's it's one of his you know giallo slashers. Um, and I, mean, I could talk about it later, but it's it's very. Scary. I mean, the imagery is horrifying. It's, you know, about, like so many of his slashers, a poor young woman is on the run from a leather-gloved killer. But this... Classic. Right. But the imagery in this one is so striking because this killer basically kills off all these people she cares about. But while he does it, he ties her up and makes her watch. And to ensure that she watches, he puts these, like, basically scotch little scotch-taped needles under her eyelids so she can't close her eyes or needles will go into her eyes yeah. and it's uh, uh. and it's just yeah that just that image of horrified eyes and these you know needles going up um yeah so i i hope i could give you that gift of that image because it's I'm
2: gonna,
1: <laughs> it's not chill gonna, it's in my heart it's in my heart now yeah <laughs> oh my god so yeah, that was the fun little tidbit that I revisited. But other than that, nothing really nothing too spooky. Uh, I have
2: been reading I've been rereading Aristotle's Poetics just because I was trying just to like it cool dude. Like a cool, <laughs> like a cool <laughs> dummy. Um I was trying to make sense of my feelings about horror, I mm-hmm. guess. Like it's one yeah. of the things that I really uh, as a performer also I think like, oh, what am I? What am I calling on when I'm trying to think? uh, When I'm trying to create the sensation of terror or fear, or when I'm trying to project that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, "Oh, what? What is in my toolbox?" And for me, it was like Greco-Roman theater. Okay, it was that. Yeah, like Oedipus Rex. um, Gotcha. The works of Sophocles.
1: Gotcha. So these like epic, huge. Arctic releases. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That
2: pathos, that praxis. Because I was like, Oh, like, what am I, I really want to, like what I love about horror is that it is grounded in this intense life or death situation. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, or on top of it, in addition, you have magic or you have this supernatural or otherwise unnatural entity around you. Sure. Um, And trying to understand the way that tragedy bleeds into horror has been such a journey for me, especially in understanding, one, how to perform it, but two, also how do we apply these dead words of these dead playwrights of these dead philosophers to our contemporary world. Right. Um, so it does feel like talking to a ghost. It feels often like talking to a ghost. That's so spooky. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've lost the point that I started with, but I'm glad we're here. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: Have what have there been any lessons that you have learned that you've like? Hey, this is this is a link that I can make to today's contemporary understanding of this. Or
2: uh... yes, I think that when we look at when we look at horror, mm-hmm. we have to remember that it is often triggered by these tremendous events of tragedy mm-hmm. and tragedy being this like over this all-encompassing moment of loss and this drive this momentum to achieve something whether it's to stop the killer to find the killer to mm-hmm. kill um, whatever that is there has to be a catharsis it is us throwing our pity and our rage at this vehicle yeah. and and seeing ourselves through it, even if it's right. so abstracted or terrifying or funny or whatever it is that that it creates in us, I have found it very, very helpful. And it's been a lot, it's been a, not even helpful. I think it's been like great food for thought. Yeah. And that's T-H-O-T.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> I like what you said though cuz I I agree I think that's there's almost like a a transformation like a reckoning that the that that it explores that may, the, the horror could be a killer the horror could be long deep family secrets you know dark secret that could be but mm-hmm. it is a you know end of the road sort of culmination that erupts you know the the dynamite at the end of the fu- fuse that blows up that you know that's what's fascinating that that the catharsis is a release from all these things that probably get pent up, this fear, these I think anxieties, right? Yeah, this is like existential right? Dread. <laughs> right. Oh man. Which really, which really there's the horror movies that just kind of leave you with it. Make me so uneasy, you know, that like they don't take that catharsis that they just slow burn the whole way. And then they just send you home with it. I'm like, I already had it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <what? laughs>
2: I came here for a release.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: <laughs> that's, that's fascinating though.
1: I feel like, uh, I saw a production of Titus andronicus um I guess it is Shakespeare, but I it, think it, Greek it applies, though right and I just I, I I still think to this day that that is that should be made into like a full on slasher movie, you know, and like it is yes. oh my God, that you could have fountains of blood in that thing and should
2: and you should um you should and there's a really there's a really interesting version the uh the Julie Taymor version mm-hmm is very interesting and very abstracted and avant-garde. But I do believe that we could really bring some of those images to life. And it is such a terrifying story about about animals protecting their kin. Mm-hmm. And totally. I, totally. I love it. I love it. I love it.
1: And it's all on stage right before your eyes. It's not through, you can't hide behind a screen to watch it. Which kind of brings us to our topic of kind of today. As today, we're talking, we're talking opera, spooky operas.
2: Mm -hmm. You are, you're a fan of opera. I am a fan of opera. And I often hear, first let's just start here. Okay. I have no accreditation (laughs) in opera. I've never studied it. I have never. I haven't. I have, I like, I truly only found opera because of PBS, like growing up in the middle of nowhere in Central California, but it was always something that was mocked in my household. It was always something that, like I knew Wagner, but I knew it through Looney Tunes. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, And that's where it began for me. And as I got older and went into studying theater, I was like, what is this Form it's so alien. It can often be so terrible. I, I, wanting to understand it, wanting to take it apart, and really enjoy the pieces out of it is what led me to really keep giving opera another date and another opportunity to to marry me. Um, marry me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm still not convinced, but I'm 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 in garters waiting at the altar. Um, figuring <laughs> it out. Yeah, I think that opera lends itself to horror and other, or otherwise haunting elements because one, it is a dead art and two, it is so profound and so epic.
0: Mm -hmm. And there really
2: is no place to hide inside of this vehicle. It is built, it is built to do something. There are, so many stories about like riots breaking out at operas or at ballets or at these classical forms, because all of a sudden someone had the notion to reimagine something and to present it in something other than what it's been. And it drove the people mad to the point of rioting. Wow. But I have been fortunate in my exploits of like, when we lived in the before times in New York, you know, getting to go to the opera for 25 bucks was awesome. Um, And I know that I often pitched it to you and to other friends too, where I was like, Oh man, like if if we can go to the opera for 25 bucks and it's like, it's five hours of entertainment for $25. (laughs) It is one of
1: my regrets of the, you know, all the the pre-COVID lifestyle (laughs) of living in New York city of never going to an opera. Man, I, you know, I went to all these museums. I did all the, I saw the ballet. I've been to, Plenty of Broadway shows. Went to so many movies. Saw a movie in every theater. But I didn't. I never saw an opera, and that always bugged me. And now it even bugs me even more. Because
2: now is that like the opera comes to you now with like the Met. You can watch them for free online, which sure. is so cool.
1: But there has to be my notion of going to an opera it has to be. There's got to be the sense of scale and awe to it, right? That like yes. that it's always the opera productions that the set is incredible you know there's hundreds of people i feel like on stage that are all yelling at you (laughs) something but um that's the experience that i feel like maybe probably can't be replicated
2: no it can't like there really is something to be said about the atmosphere of it i think that that's what made the the three pieces that i will speak about i've been able to see two of them live and getting to experience that one as (laughs) Someone who enjoys vaping in a public bathroom um, before watching a performance of something. Just really like losing my mind at an opera because it's, it is so epic. It is an epic form Mm -hmm. and it is built to terrify you. When you get to watch the thrillers that are produced occasionally in the Mm -hmm. opera world, they are terrifying when they're done effectively.
1: Now, what do you think makes an effective thriller on with opera? Like, that I feel like talk about horror and something scary and you put it in the formula or the, you know, the, the medium of opera. In my head, I think of just long scenes of very, you know, long notes and singing and high, you know. Immediately, I don't think I'm scared. So what does it, how how do they overcome that hurdle and still get that across?
2: Again, with no degree behind me, um, (laughs) I believe that what makes a really effective horror, like in the horror genre or the thriller genre of opera is number one, it better have a good motherfucking story. Like you better have a good story. Mm -hmm. Number two, you better have a good director who has a clear perspective on what they're trying to say. I think that it, where you fail is there. if Because you, you can have a, a magnificent story. There are beautiful stories in the opera world, but they are often lost in the direction. Okay, um, Which now leads me to the third and most, uh, like the, the, the third very, very, very crucial part of it, which is just good actors, mm-hmm. good singers who are also good actors. Because if you... Can only park and bark, which is what they call just like <laughs> you know they just like show up and sing really loud in one right. position and yeah they never stand move right there yeah um, and their his opera singers are historically known for like not ever wanting to change their performances because once you're trained you know the instrument can't take on doing other things you lose something if if the artist is incapable or unwilling to really dig in there and to at times let the voice go. Sure. And just use what's in front of you.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Think about opera singers. My first thing that comes to my head is park and bark. (laughs) Like you said, then just stand there. But (laughs) I looked up a few videos going coming into this of like performances of scary. And I, I think it, I mean, as far as I wasn't scared, but the horror doesn't have to be scary to be horror. Horror can just be the imagery can be there. And I've seen a lot of these things and the past performances that are horror. And I think the common thing that I see is just, you're right. The perform, the acting that they have to, not just a voice. My gosh, this has to be literally cataclysmic. This has to be life and death. This the end of the line, yes. I'm giving this, leaving it all on the field, you know, and that's, that's that was exciting to see and just uh, like I said before the scale like there's I saw one uh, I think it was Faust um, that was a German production of Faust and uh, this particular production had like an enormous enormous skeleton that was like six stories high you know that would revolve around and everyone it's got these you know ribbons coming out of it and hundreds of people all around. and I'm just like this is incredible my
2: God, I, I would have
1: killed to see something like this, you know?
2: Yeah, well, because it's like, you're all standing in awe mm-hmm. on top of being moderately terrified. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, yeah. uh, like when, when you go into a theater with a group of strangers, one, like, in, it is dark and it's isolating and the class structures are also very interesting, you know? So you're having to experience all these different levels for yourself. Yeah, you watch these performers sometimes almost drowned in these vast spaces. The piece, the the first piece that I really want to talk about is Beards yeah. Castle. Yeah, by by Bella Bartok uh, Bartok. To everyone in the opera world who's listening to this podcast right now, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> I got to go see it in new york in 2019 i went with connor i went with connor yeah um and um a, a friend friend to the podcast um um we went for valentine's day and we saw this double feature of yolanta and bluebeard's castle and the first piece i'll ignore completely because i it's not horror <laughs> okay. um, but we don't want bluebeard's it. get castle. it out i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it um <laughs> in its own right, it's its, own. it's a whole other conversation for that piece. Um, but Marius Trilinski did this phenomenal job of directing this otherwise stagnant piece. It very often, if you don't know Bluebeard's Castle, it is the story of this man, Bluebeard, um, and his young wife, who comes to to be with him to she marries him. Mm-hmm. Um, she leaves her family, which is, like, wealthy and fine. And, like, her life has always been peaceful and stable. But she has heard all of the rumors that he has had other wives. Many other wives, go yeah. Missing. Mm-hmm. Many other wives, and they all go missing. And still she chooses to go with him. And uh, it's often sh- it's often directed as, like, a long, narrow hallway, and then just seven doors in the background. Which yeah, that's what I've seen. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, okay, but like there's this other way to really imagine it. And the way that Trilinski did it was one, the opening scene is like a bizarre narration that turns into an actual forest. Like all of a sudden, there's a forest manifests before you. And I'm talking Incredible. like football stadium forest and a car rolls on stage like a, a actual like 1980s looking car comes on stage with its lights on and it feels so gritty and dirty and wet and like film noir it just yeah, has yeah. That. it gives you that feeling of like this car could come off the stage and run me down right And you watch him come in in a trench coat and lead his new wife into his home. And you're watching her unable to see, groping through walls to feel her way through the darkness of this home. And it's just in darkness. And of course, she's singing this entire time because that's what you have to do. Of course, yeah. And she's asking, you know, like, why are these walls wet? Why can't I see? Why can't we open doors? And every door that she's opening is another vision to her it's like another it's another step closer that she's getting to this monster mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she is unwilling to leave because she truly believes she can change him or she is willing herself to believe that it's not real mm-hmm. and it, it is just it was it was ah inspiring Because you watch this woman moving through this beautiful, terrifying castle, screaming and belting in front of these piles of knives and these various different forms until she finally tells like she confronts him about like why are there no rumors here why are there no birds like why why can't we hear things here right and his words to her are i want you to love me without asking questions oh no (laughs) (laughs) and you're you're wondering like why is this woman staying here and spoiler alert because that's you should everyone should watch this spoiler alert Mm -hmm. She joins his other wives. She keeps opening all seven doors until she finds the rest of his, in this case, just dead wives that he's been burying. You watch him burying these wives who all have the same kind of like Upper East Side blonde bob. And she is the final body that he's burying. And I just had never experienced that in an opera before. I had never experienced that kind of fear, and I'd never been turned on like that at an opera either. It was so sensual. The way that she, you know, like the way that she is, it was very like there's this section where she's blindfolded and just in a cage singing. Mm hmm. And I know I'm all over the place right now. I'm so sorry. Everyone's going to have to figure this out for themselves as they go back. To- no, this I'm riveted. But just,
1: yeah, keep going.
2: <laughs> it's just, it, it really is shot like those, uh, like German expressionist horror films. You know, like it is like all in shadow. It is just beautiful. And when uh, the actress, um, the, the opera singer, the opera singer that embodied Judith, Nadia Mik- Mikhail, when they asked her about it, she said that she didn't necessarily see her as this victimized woman. Mm -hmm. She chose not to see her that way. She chose to see her as a woman confronting her own demons. It is a woman literally going and following behind this man and choosing to love him because she can change him. It's her and her own internal demons and her own devils that she really is trying to get under control and unfortunately, in this case, they consume her. Also, all in under an hour. Like it's like an hour and
1: five minutes.
2: That's bonkers
1: to me. Yeah, that um, that they able to fit this, especially with an opera. I feel like an operas are five hours of content. You know, and it's, you telling me all of this. I feel like <laughs> each of these tableaus that you're describing, each forty five minutes, right? Like easily,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really it it achieved uh, a beautiful form, and it really was it was one of those first expressionist operas that were coming out, you know, like this form had not existed before because you were so used to these like five act gigantic epic pieces. Right. But this really condensed the music and the story and the feeling the expressionism of it so beautifully and so scarily at the same time.
1: That Sounds incredible. Just that sense of awe. I I think of other stories that would really benefit from that. And I'm trying, and I think Bluebeard's castle, 100%. I mean, any, you know, classic universal monster, when you're in this castle, you're in this giant chasm of mystery would be really fucking cool to see. I'm sure it's been done that, but I'm just so disconnected from this medium. But I also think about like, other than, on page, Lovecraft is very hard to reproduce with the whole cosmic horror because it's all yes. in your head. It's like you can't even fathom how small you are in this world, you know? But I can when I'm reading his stories because it's all mental anguish and and paranoia and n- breakdowns. But in film, it's like, well, I can't really comprehend the scale of that because it just looks like pretty imagery. I wonder if in an opera, you know, if like getting like The Call of Cthulhu or something like you're like an opera of At the Mountains of Madness or something like this could be incredible.
2: Well, I think that that's where opera succeeds is, is in its scale because of its lack of intimacy it must create other vehicles that emulate it or represent it sure and there are just beautiful there are beautiful productions where you're like how did you create a a pack of birds that are attacking a kingdom right now there's a really great production which isn't horror but it is a clusterfuck of like beautiful atonal music and philip glass's akhenaten is Spectacular and abstract and weird, and there are no spoken words in the entire thing. It's just people like saying the ter- like singing ah, 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 just like these very bizarre like sounds. But it's like you're like, oh, okay, so this king is destroying the concept of having, uh, what's the word for many gods having a, a canon, a pantheon. A poly- a pantheon uh, of Egyptian yeah. gods. He smashed it and is like, nah, dude, it's the Aten now. And it's like him descending a, a gigantic staircase wearing a robe made of baby doll heads. <laughs> they it's not just chill, dude. Like, right? You're <laughs> just like, wait, wait, what are we looking at here? It really it really does challenge us in that way. And it, and it troubles you to watch this behavior.
1: Sure, sure.
2: I'm Absolutely, just thinking about a just giant cape of baby yeah. doll heads. <laughs>
1: I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link. Thank That's great. you. <laughs> I think about other. Um, we'll, we'll stay on opera for a second, but I think just in stage in general, it is mm-hmm. such a hard thing to achieve thrills and scares. Because it and can be so
2: stupid. It right? can be so like, stupid.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, you think about what? What? It, when has it ever succeeded? I think *Woman in Black*. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. Uh, it's also ran for ten decades, you know, because it's the only <laughs> it's like one we got. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> scary ghost story we have. I saw a production. I think you saw it too in New York. The um, Les Waters. His the it was the Lucas and A. yeah the, Red, thin place. the thin place yeah. that oh my gosh. Ghost story, kind of on stage, and um, what I just wanted to talk about was was how unsafe I felt in there, and I think that is something that 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 is the barrier that I feel like it has to be broken on stage. Right? Is that it was it was there's a moment in this play where you're listening to this. Character literally tell like a ghost story of this the haunting that she had at the past. For about an hour
2: and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes
1: on and you're, and it's riveting. You know, you're like, it's like a campfire story. You're listening and like, oh my gosh, it's a really good ghost story. And then the lights go out. And I don't mean the lights go out. I mean, if you've ever been in a theater and the lights go out, there's still like the exit lights and everything. There's still like, no, everything. I don't know how they got you the permit, to, say, I don't know permit to turn off. Maybe they're just like, gorilla, we're turning off the safety exit lights. But Pitch black, and you're hearing noises on the stage, and like genuinely felt I'm not safe. You know, there's Mm -hmm. something in this room with us right now. It wasn't even a play that was like advertising itself as horror. It was just a play that had this like terrifying moment in it. And I wonder about. I think that I I just would love to see the stage pursue it further. You know, I think there's so many opportunities to really scare people, but you have to be willing to scare people.
2: And I think that I. I mean, I think the thing also is number one. There's just too many fucking old people that go to the theater, and I know it. They don't want to see it. I know it. it. <laughs> I know it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they get so annoyed. There, did you watch the production of 1984 in New York? I sure did. Where like it's it's not horror, but it it, it was. Yeah, there's a was torture watching, scene like, in it. Yeah, it was like traumatizing to watch that scene. And there I remember when during that sequence, because they turn the lights on and it's very like, you as the audience, you're a part of this, like you exactly. are so, you, like are watching torture. And I thought, like, okay, like I know these mediums. I like I, I read Aristotle's poetics for God's sake. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I understand. What really threw me the most was watching audience members get up and start screaming, it's not real that was crazy to me i was like oh we have arrived at the thin place the veil has been drawn here and we are so uncomfortable that you have to start screaming this isn't real we have to shut it off so that yeah. you can so that you can keep enjoying this experience or Mm, or sitting mm. through this experience at the very least
1: yeah i guess yeah i wonder i think you're maybe hitting on something there that like we can it's it's safe to enjoy you know going to you know a horror movie because it's on a screen you know there is a there's a clear barrier between you and everything that's happening you know it's the next step is people that go to haunted houses you know but that's You know what you want, and you want that next step. But people going to plays don't necessarily, and maybe aren't want that. You (laughs) want that, yeah they they want that that line. Because I've seen some really cool, you know, I've been to some haunts that, which is interactive theater in a way that that unparalleled like feelings of like shock and and awe that I've never seen on stage. I've seen great performances, but I feel like we could really. I don't know. I'm just so excited. I just want, I want horror to like make its way on stage in a cool way. That's not just like a ghost story. You know, I feel like there's so many cool opportunities.
2: And various different ways, right? Like there's so many different ways to terrify us Mm -hmm. and there are so many different ways to unsettle us. And I think that obviously film is the most controlled medium, in that you are you are receiving what the director wants you to see. Right. You are seeing like shot for shot what is the journey emotionally that you're supposed to be on unless you close your eyes, which I often do. Um, <laughs> so you sometimes have like these fragmented images and it's scarier because you can't see, right? Right. And I think that that's where The Thin Place succeeded where like, because it was such a bare bones set, in that case, it was a very small space, not operatic at all. But it achieved that really intimate terror. and I, wa- I yeah, I wonder, as we re-enter the world again, how that how we continue to explore that and how forms that are otherwise dated manage to move beyond it, yeah, there was this really great production of of Wojciech or Wojciech, depending on your translation of it, which is. Uh, it's a play by George Bushner and it was like he died while writing it Mm -hmm. and when they found it it was like in they don't know in what order it is the whenever we read that play which is like seen as the first modern it's like the beginning of modernism with that play Uh um, we don't know how that play ends we don't know how that play moves just historians have been like uh, other seems other right. grad students have been, yeah. Other like <laughs> drunk, poor grad students have been like, I don't know. I think this is where you would have this feeling because of Aristotle's Poetics. Oh, um, no. You know, like you're just trying to like put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never heard of the opera before um, by Alban Berg. It's Hungarian. I've never heard a Hungarian opera before either, and it really one. It was the first time that I had ever been up close at an opera. Instead of like uh, waiting uh,
1: in the nosebleeds or sort of yeah, because yeah.
2: when I saw yeah, when I saw Bluebeard's Castle with Connor, we were in the highest the highest tier of the opera house, which is I think the best because it's like when you watch a musical like you're so far away that you get to see it all really well right right um, but also you get to see how fucking unkept the Met Opera House actually is and how it's like rotting and falling apart oh no oh no (laughs) tell the Koch brothers they need more money they need Um, (laughs) 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 give them more money but when I saw Voshek I got to sit in like the third and the third the third row because a friend of mine had just assistant directed Agrippina so he was like you want to come to an opera? We can hang out and you can sit in the third row of this opera, of course. And I was like, I was like, yes, and he's like, Oh, and the opera's only an hour and a half. And I was like, Oh, thank god, yes, thank you. Like, I can watch an <laughs> opera in an hour and a half, of course. I'll go. This opera, this production by William Kentridge was just illuminating because it, it really used every single thing at its disposal, it used puppetry. So there's this little boy character and it's like this bizarre mangled little alien with a gas mask on the entire time. And it has like a little trunk, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, I know what you um, mean.
2: <laughs> and when this piece was written, it was like right before World War II. It was kind of like uh, like a soft, like, I say a little prayer for World War II, like a premonition of World War II when this piece was being constructed. Wow. And while it was being written the composer was in the army. Like he was watching people being murdered and butchered. And he had seen the original production of, of a voyage that had been done. And he knew immediately that he wanted to turn it into this, into an opera, but because of the constraints of opera and where the world was pre world war II, like right before world war II, it it was one of, it was one of the first avant-garde operas of the 20th century like it is Mm -hmm. it is that it really is so atonal and dismaying and when I think of it I would liken the feeling to like that Michael Myers thing like you know like you hear that and you like you're just like oh you feel so unsettled and Mm -hmm. that's how Wojciech made me feel there's no clear line ever although there are very specific, like late motifs for people, so you're like, this is the theme for the doctor, this is the theme for his wife, this is the theme for the soldiers, right you never feel settled or like you know what will happen. a really fast, really watered down voyagecheck situation, like what the story is about, yeah, yeah, please, um, yeah, you have this soldier, right you have voice right. like this soldier he has a wife and a child, his wife is a prostitute, um she has had to start having sex with soldiers for money because they're starving and they're in the middle of a war and they have this child and like, he doesn't know if the child is his. And like, Hmm. he's going to see this doctor and this doctor only feeds him peas. He has him on this really strict diet of peas and he's only feeding him one pea at a time. And this doctor is just like fucking with him, just like psychologically looking for how to destroy this man whether it's like instilling doubt or fear and really using the P- the clear PTSD that Wojciech is ex- is experiencing right. for his own benefit. And I think that that is what's also so disconcerting about the play is that you're having to watch human beings look for ways to hurt other things because of the amount of trauma and fear and and rage Mm -hmm. as you watch this beautiful piece you can you can look up clips on the Met opera website and i think they they have a recording of it which i highly recommend everyone do same thing for bluebeard's castle william kentridge did this because you have the puppetry right you have this busted ass set it's not formalistic at all it's like disjointed like uh, trenches. It feels like trenches. It's just like fragments of wood. And there are these crazy, scary charcoal drawings that he designed, and these images of these etudes, these like movement pieces of war, of destruction, of frivolity, of partying, all going on at the same time. And Wojciech just can't get over it. Like, he can't get over the rage he feels and the fact that he doesn't know if he can trust his wife. And his wife, Marie, like, she is not a victim. Like, she is taking control of her life and making the choices that she has to make to live in this time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it lead her to be murdered by, by Wojciech. Like, he slays her. And it depends in which what, what interpretation you get because in one version of like this amalgamation of like, we think it happened this way, he drowns, he drowns at the end. But the way that this piece ended was that the little puppet boy is like playing horse, like horsey. He's playing horsey on this little, like you put that little horse stick in between your legs. Sure, and sure. Around. Um, and it's this really atonal, scary, dysmorphic sound and just like a...
1: Haunting. And And he's still wearing the gas mask, right?
2: He's still wearing the gas mask, and the children are laughing. So you hear like a chorus of children laughing and saying you're nothing scarier. Because he doesn't under can't comprehend mortality, he continues playing, and then the play, and then the opera ends. Damn. And it is just it's amazing. It's it's it was it is an amazing piece. And it really I think it broke so many forms for me or like my conception of what opera could be, because it really, it's, I mean, it scared me. It scared me and it made me think and it made me feel that catharsis. Of yeah. Life. But like you said, it's one of those pieces that you go and you're like, I thought you were going to resolve this for me. I thought you were going to absolve me of these feelings and it just leaves you there with that.
1: further complicates. Well, what I, one thing I got from you telling me that the story and the, the structure and how the, the production went was just like how opera can get across these huge ideas by really saying, not, not specifically saying it like, because opera, something I always struggle with. with Operas, I have no, no idea what they're saying, and they're just singing. You know, I have no idea what the lyrics are. But that actually might go to the benefit in something that's scary. You know, that like you're just getting pure emotion. And so, the, as far as horror works, when you empathize with you know someone and you're scared for them, if you empathize fully with someone because you're fully feeling what they're feeling, mm-hmm. I can see that the the sense of fear and heightened is heightened. By that just thinking about all the different ways that it can work in different things. It's fucking cool. I want to see an opera now.
2: <laughs> I will find that link because I do think it's it's right up your alley. Okay. I think it's right up a lot of people's alleys. If we can if we can watch foreign horror films. If we, we can, can watch, watch films, aura, yeah, yeah. We can watch we can watch an hour and a half of an opera. You know and what I mean?
1: We should be watching foreign horror films too, because oh my god, there is some scary ones out there. So good. I always hate that sidebar thing. I always hate that our American the way of if anything's good foreign, we have to remake it. And it's never better ever, you know, no. ever, because it's just like, it's in English now. I'm like, eh, uh, no, there's a lot in that. Anyway, <laughs> real quick, before we talk about more plates and, and opera spooky yeah. stuff, I want to take a break for ads real quick. But before that, I really want to thank our supporters because we have a few SO we've got a few supporters (laughs) and they're, Fucking cool. uh We've got Julia, Jody, Erica, Erica, Wendy, Jennifer, Jody, Morgan, and Aaron. Thank you very, 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 very much. Aaron was on last week's episode. We talked about Batman. Aaron is a cool dude. And uh, just like this whole coven of supporters. So if you want to be a, a supporter to our podcast, please do. You can go to anchor.fm slash hhhs slash support. And you can join and, and throw all your spare change at us or however much, however little. But if you don't want to do that, that's cool. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Do they add some Spotify? Do they have reviews on Spotify? They have to, right? I don't know. They must. They must. You can review us and uh, let, let us know what you think because we love feedback. We love how, you know, here how we could uh, improve. And uh, if you got any friends, any spooky friends like my SO, you're my SO. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any other spooky friends that would, would love this podcast, let them know because, uh, want to grow this family. So anyway, yeah, let's take a quick moment and we're going to come right back with Esau for more spooky operas. Dun, dun, dun. And we're back. Hello. Hi. We are back talking more spooky operas, and it's kind of turning in just a spooky stage shows, too, at this point,
2: you know? At this point, yeah. We're we're really towing the line
1: here. I'm okay with that. That's fine. And also, <laughs> on this break, I can confirm, I looked up pictures of this production of uh, the crude uh, gas masks and the kids in the Bluebeard's Castle. Fucking scary. I think that's all it takes. Just put, uh, like, a crude gas mask on anything terrifying, uh, terrifying. made me think of um, The Orphanage um, we mentioned that talked about that
2: mm-hmm.
1: Oh, what a good movie love The Orphanage and Devil's Backbone
2: just it, I think gosh old orphanages old orphanages never fun never, never okay fun. you know that the porridge was never cooked well at all <laughs>
1: yeah at that's all? the scary part yeah that's it <laughs> God, can you the horror? <laughs> um, well, we we can kind of transition a little bit into maybe some operas that um, stories about operas that very much mm-hmm. are hallmarks in the horror genre, and that is the Phantom. The Phantom is definitely it's not an opera; it's a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. But like before that, opera, yeah, it's like a rock
2: <laughs> opera. It is. it's a rock opera <laughs>
1: yeah the one on broadway yes with andrew Lloyd webers and it was also a movie um and before that it was another movie uh a universal beautiful monster novella yeah a beautiful novella yes i don't know which one to talk about first i love the universal monster one i think that one's yes. fantastic um and actually scary and and the version that i empathize with the phantom the most because that is the one where he's 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 deliberately wronged you know he um he was you know training daya right what's her name uh yeah christine 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 Dae uh was training her voice and you know and he was working on his own story and he was you know toiling away and didn't have much but he was doing it because he believed in the craft and the art and then he was uh hoodwinked he was strict and they stole his show and he tried to fight back and it didn't work. And then he became deformed and disfigured and, and exiled. And, and then at that point you're like, yeah, fuck them all. Get them, dude. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh,
2: get them. Get him,
1: so I think mean, that's, that's always, this is what I love about all universal monster movies. they are always this kind of misunderstood romantic tragedies, you know, that there's yeah there, these, these, the monsters quote unquote are never really the monsters. It's they're made that way by. Product of their environment, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Think about Frankenstein. You think about the creature. You know. Then everyone. You know. And the, the Phantom is no exception.
2: I grew up on the Phantom of the Opera, like the actual, the novella, like the the French, uh, the French story. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't know. Didn't read French as a child. I read English and Spanish. Um, my sister found it at our school library, mm-hmm. and the cover is so terrifying it like would give me nightmares as a child just looking at it. And I knew she knew, which is why she kept rereading it and bringing it home. But I remember finally getting over my fears and putting a paper cover on it so I wouldn't have to look at it and then <laughs> reading it myself mm-hmm. and having that experience of like, oh, wow, what a twisted, bizarre story of obsession mm-hmm. and a need to feel seen and loved. And then, of course, we have... The Andrew Lloyd Lloyd (laughs) Webber musical, Uh which also like was the last thing I saw on Broadway before the shutdown. (laughs) My my partner and I were thinking to ourselves, we're like, okay, and what play have we not seen that if the world ended we would be so sad that we didn't see on Broadway? And I was like, (laughs) no, I've never seen the Fan with the Opera on
1: stage. (laughs) He did. That's coincidentally that's the first Broadway show I've ever seen. So we are Capstone's <laughs>
2: first and I
1: love that temporary love that. last. It, it was always a running <laughs> joke too with some friends in New York, where it, it, in genuine earnest, it's like, do you think? i don't know maybe this is the month we finally go back and see i think i, I think i'm ready to see phantom again see phantom. <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm gonna
2: see it again i think, I'm
1: gonna see it. I, think it, and I never sadly i never did but you got in there i think i think it achieved some things we talked about with with actual you know the scale and opera and, and, mm-hmm. and things we can do uh the chandelier moment at the beginning
2: still Amazing. fantastic still wonderful yeah that the let me tell you the, the emotional support dog that someone brought in to watch the opera as well did <sighs> not take it well <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny
1: yeah i i mean it's just it transforms an entire space it takes you literally back in time you, you, to to the uninitiated in the broadway <laughs> the phantom yes. uh which is many that's fine It's uh, it starts with uh the, the stage is all in you know it's almost like a dusty attic right everything's under under these blankets if it's all abandoned it's it's like an abandoned theater and then in in one transition the blankets get pulled away the entire theater. And we're talking like the ceiling we're talking about, like the above the box seats, like everything, the gold trim, everything gets revealed. And the chandelier that was on its side and abandoned comes up and it's pulled out over the audience's head. And you're full on, you're in the opera now. And yes. it's awesome. In in the true word it's spectacular. of spectacular, awesome. And and there's, there's plenty of other like it, I mean it, the play uses the classic you know universal monster you know imagery. We've got the the, the smoke coming in and the castles and the candles and the a boat yeah. You got your boat, you know, like oh, <laughs> you got a fits, boat. you know. So I mean, depending you know depending on your views of the musical and the story, I just think the performance hits those those.
2: It is a beautiful. Right piece of theater history Mm -hmm. in action it also like uh the director he spoke about it and he's like oh i understand that at this point this is like a dated production and it is like it's a period piece now it's been running Mm -hmm. for like 20 years it Mm -hmm. is a period piece but you're right it uses elements in in theater that we often see in horror films i remember from my vantage point where i was sitting they were using mirrors a lot Like she's in her dressing room and he's like talking to her through a mirror and you're like, yes, how are they going to do this? Mm -hmm. But the simplicity also of like all of the little mirrors that she would use to put on her makeup in this like in her dressing room and inside of the story, you can see her and you can see very specific points of like only her eyes or only her mouth, only these parts of her and this beautiful dismemberment of voice and body was very impacting. And I think that the reason that people flocked to that GD musical is because <laughs> it it really is a spectacle mm-hmm. and it is a controlled measure of terror and romance and, yeah. and a brilliant rock score, you know, it's oh,
1: brilliant <laughs> top notch. Did you ever see, I it was just thinking, as you were talking about it in the story, love never dies. I never saw it. Never even no, heard it. No, I never but saw it's, it.
2: The sequel to the musical, and I? <laughs> Why it's, it's so dumb. It's just clearly, it's like, dude, you have so much money. You so have so much, much money. money. Just leave it alone. Just leave it at that. To anyone who because doesn't know, there's... it
1: takes place like in Coney Island in New York, right? Yeah. Because they have fled. Like,
2: yeah. They yeah. fled because he keeps following her and like they have like a love child. It's just like a mess. It's truly a mess. Leave well enough alone. It did not need a sequel. One of the better like horror suspense situations going on. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit more about this. What you talk about about the universal horror movies, which is watching social conditioning happen upon an individual, and what that drives a, a person to. To do, yeah. What it can mm-hmm. drive our, our our humanity to. What happens to our humanity when we're confronted with with the world um, and with certain circumstances, right? And fancy that you talk about Ibsen because I think that his plays speak a lot about that. I think that they are overwhelmingly about how society affects us and mm-hmm. how it makes us different people. There's this uh, really fast back to opera with that with that prism mm-hmm. on it is this beautiful movement called the anti-opera movement that was happening also at uh, the turn of like the 20th century, 21st century. And you have the writer, uh, the writers of the Three Penny Opera, mm-hmm. Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil. Before that, their sleeper hit, their B-side and rarity was oh, um, <laughs> if you will, um, was the rise and the fall of the city of Mahagani. And it is written like like three penny opera to sound everything unlike opera. When you listen to the overtures, they are formless. They sound like they're falling apart. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've started a wind up box and it's playing really well. But as you're driving home, still playing it, it's literally like you can feel the gears falling off and like it becoming discordant. Sure. And that there's this really great production that happened um, at Teatro Real in Madrid. With the Catalan collective called La Fura del Baus. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's this uh, really fast uh, what the story's about. These three fugitives are fleeing from the government, mm-hmm. knowing that they're going to be tried for larceny and thievery and murdering. So they decide let's build a city. Let's build a city right here. And it's going to be like a web, and we're going to catch all the people's money because, like, one of my favorite quotes is it's easier to get gold out of men than it is out of rivers. Like you can just, if you present them with something, they will give it to you. Mm -hmm. So you immediately are provided with what the characters want, which is to be wealthy. You have the, the person who's buying. So you Mm -hmm. have these, like uh, these loggers coming down from Alaska to like, want to purchase whiskey and they want to buy bread and they want to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see what they're going to be sold, which is in this iteration, refugees, like they're being sold prostitutes, men and women, they are being sold this product. But mm-hmm. The problem is that they're not consuming enough. Mm-hmm. So they keep driving prices down. So there's this economic dis- Disturbance and it's getting to a point where they just cannot sustain this horror filled world of decadence. Mm-hmm. So they start turning on each other. Like, okay, well, obviously, we need to murder one of these. We need to try someone so that we can create order. We have to create order by creating chaos. Sure. Um, Naturally. But luckily, a, type, a natural disaster sweeps through the nation, nearly killing everyone, but unifying them again enough to devolve back into these atrocious behaviors smash cut um (laughs) you know like jimmy mcintyre is like not happy about how it's going on he starts boxing to make ends meet because he needs to survive and wants to keep up this affair that he's been having with this with this woman who he's he believes he's in love with Mm -hmm. but to her it's it's commerce. To her, it's like, she's like, no, I, you are paying me this. I am a business entity. Mm-hmm. And it ends with him being tried by the state and murdered in front of the people. Like, there is a public execution of this man, and it is a rallying cry. When it was written, it was a rallying cry for what was going on right before World War Two. Mm-hmm. It was, again, you see that era of like really bizarre, atonal, avant-garde operas coming out, anti-operas coming out, really attempting to talk about social discourse and about the fears that we have about where we'll end up if we lose our humanity. Mm-hmm. And the set is enormous. It all takes place on a landfill. Everyone's emerging from garbage. Uh, People are eating out of these buffet lines that are all like troughs. It's this bizarre, beautifully dystopian piece of... I mean, saying horror is like using that term very loosely, but it is very horrific to watch what happens to us as human beings in this piece. Yeah. And I think that it's one of those evolutions. It really it reminds me a lot of uh, *Parasite*. Oh yeah, we just like, talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's like here are these social caste systems and what they will drive you to. Mm-hmm. I highly recommended. A great score. <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> I think you're you're hitting on a lot of
1: things. I mean, not the least of which, you know, horror has always been a great vehicle for social injustice, and because it is scary, it, that's one of the the Ways to push people to change or or wake up is to scare them. It's an effective thing. I love it. And it's a thing that uh, I wish we could do more in on stage. Uh, It sounds like opera is doing more than I've ever, you know, I've been waiting for it to do it on stage and I've just been looking at the wrong places. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like opera has been doing it a lot more than theater because theater, I think of Phantom for the universal monster, you know, version of Mm -hmm. uh, quote unquote horror. We got, you know, Sweeney Todd is, you know, it's a slasher, you know, it's fun. Got woman in black. We got the thin in place. We just talked about and like that, the list runs out. There is, it does. It's like, where else? I I think one of the best productions I've ever seen. And this was just, I saw it in the movie theater because national theater, I've never been to a Mm -hmm. national theater show, but they, their production of Frankenstein directed by Danny Boyle is incredible. Uh, Absolutely. Incredible. I think they probably still have, maybe they do. It's I know a, earlier, you
2: can find it.
1: I definitely find I had a bootleg of it for years in college. but going back to it's not an opera. it's it's straight play, but it the scale of it is there. I mean, it, the whole, the theater is decked out with these, just like, what's the word? I'm looking for these light bulbs, but they're, um, anti- Edison bulbs. Edison bulbs, That's the word. Thank you. Yep. There's Edison bulbs everywhere. And so at the beginning, when you have the creature in this, just this flesh sack, you know, like in an embryo almost, and it's jolted with electricity and the electricity, like lights goes through all the bulbs for the whole audience. And the, the whole audience is just from, you know, what I can gather. I wasn't there. I wish I could have been. It's, it, must have been yeah. just transformative, but electrified into it like we, we jolted, you we were awake. And my gosh, again, we can do these things. These 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 tasks can be done on stage. I think that there's
2: well a- remember we also went to go watch Yerma when we saw which isn't a horror piece. No. But it petrified me. Right. It is, I think, one of the best pieces I've ever seen in a theater. Not an hour and a half for everyone listening. No, and it it really is so. Billy Piper just did a spectacular job. But you're following this woman in in a story that feels so relevant. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it felt so timely to be talking about like what society is telling her and how she needs to feel like she has to become a mother. Right. But how it ends, man? It just she,
1: Billy Piper, the actress, even has a hard time coming out of it. Like she goes yeah. into the curtain call, takes like five minutes before she's ready to bow and take it. And like, I remember seeing it and going, I think I don't know, I don't think she's okay. <laughs>
2: like, who is making her porridge? After who night? is? You
1: know what self help regimen is she on after every performance? Yeah. Because she's struggling. I'm looking at her right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, and I, I'm thinking about any other plays before we, we wrap up and also not horror, but we, you and I saw, you and I saw, um, Cursed Child together, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yes. And the tricks that they do on stage of like, we can do this. The magic yes. can happen. I've seen it. I've seen we it. Have <laughs> we have the tools. We have the tools. You didn't tell me that we can't just whisk people away, make them disappear like a ghost. No, I've seen it. I've seen it.
2: Yeah. I have seen ghosts evaporate. You know evaporate. what I mean. Like I have seen some crazy shit on stage.
1: I, I and we were in the nosebleeds looking at this play, and I even then yes. I was like, "How the fuck did they do this? This is incredible." Yes. So it can be done. And you even you were in a show at Actors Theatre of Louisville where it I was. Head, yes, and you were there. You were uh, your your ensemble show that year was, was um,
2: wondrous, strange, wondrous, strange, and they had. Um. I remember being in rehearsals for it. It, For those of you who don't, who aren't in the know about Wonder's Strange, it is a really beautiful and bizarre piece about ghosts. Mm -hmm. It is several different vignettes. I believe it's like eight or nine different vignettes Mm -hmm. of ghost stories. Like what is, what does it mean to be haunted? What does it mean to haunt? What does it mean to be terrified? And great writers, uh, Jen Silverman, Meg Marosznik, G. Jihei Park, Martina Mayok, like they did an amazing job at, at really creating these very beautiful and terrifying worlds. But I do remember being in rehearsals for it mm-hmm. and being like, wow, I feel so stupid. I'm literally being asked to squeal like a pig while dragging a chain behind me. And yeah. it's, you know, it's it's one of those things where... You can never really know what something looks or sounds like when you're mm-hmm. acting in it. As I'm sure horror. Is, it, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. How did how did you conceive of it? Like, what elements of it worked for you? Like, I think in the horror. It's genre? those moments like, you
1: you talk about dragging a chain and squealing like a pig that I'm sure it feels <laughs> ridiculous to do, and they're like everyone, but like. I, just like in horror movies, I feel like you got to trust whoever's behind the camera going, no, this is scary, you know? And I think seeing that on stage was like, cause it was in black, you know, and this is happening. It's just quick shots of light that I was like, that wasn't chill to see, you know? And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm sure Freddy Krueger looks silly on a sunny afternoon too, you know, but it's all how it's presented. And I think about, oh gosh, the ghost hunters uh, version of that, the ghost bros where they do like, yes. <laughs> that segment. I loved that segment so much. And Walls was even in that show and talking about scary moments on stage and how I wanted more. Walls, she's in the other room, but she was in the scariest part of that fucking play. She got to be, she was this little ghost girl with a bell. Like a, like an old, you know, uh thirties dress, you know, and walking around mm-hmm. with like a bonnet and she had this bell and she was the ghost girl that these this plays were looking at but no one ever found. But the audience gets to see her come in and she stands on a trapdoor, but we don't know it's a trapdoor. But just the way the timing is perfect, the trapdoor drops her and the light goes out and she literally vanishes in front of our eyes. The whole audience gasped. I did too. I'm like, it,
2: Fuck yes, it's so cool. It was yeah, that part and in- Marty Lyons, because we have to say who directed, directed this, it. did it. Yeah, absolutely. Show. Like Marty Lyons was so smart about the tools that she used and also the transitions, because it's, if I remember correctly, she falls through the, she disappears, like that character disappears. And immediately a strobe light comes on and it turns into like a fashion show progress. Procession of people texting on cell phones. Yep, yep. It's amazing. It's in a. I think that that was one of the. Granted, I was in it, but so (laughs) be it. So be it. I was in it, but that was one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, this feels like an effective piece of theater." Mm -hmm. It has motivated and elicited these responses from people. But to our point, I think about I think about the the market. I think about like who. Would purchase this and who would receive this the best? And yeah. to me, it was fucking like opening night with those kids. They would yep. run in 100%. college days when they had college days like mm-hmm. that group was hungry. Ate it. Ate it
1: mm-hmm. But if you want, if you want more you know, young seats, butts in those seats. We need more of that, you know? Like the, yes. at, at this theater that we we both mutually were at, Dracula is a, every year they they get school kids mm-hmm. in there. They go wild. They love this shit. It's a play, it's it's Dracula on stage and there's some really fun pyrotechnics and all that, but there's, you know, it's mm-hmm. nothing largely special about it, but the kids love it because it's, you know, I'm getting to see something thrilling on stage. And then, and then, the, you know, that's it. Then I feel like that that probably that that search gets pretty um, disheartening for many people who would be into stage shows that are like, oh, that's I saw something really cool as a kid, but it turns ter- turns out that was the only thing like it ever. That you know, that was it. That was
2: it. And that, there was no was more. it.
1: Yeah. that was no more. I remember uh, I I was lucky enough to understudy a show in Chicago, um, Feathers mm-hmm. and Teeth, uh, written by Sheree Smith, and that play. I think the play is so good. It's this creature feature, you know, thriller that on stage it's funny, it's scary. And, uh, you know, I was just an understudy I, and I wouldn't sign any NDA. So I can say, I, I think that through the tech process, it like really got kind of watered down and that I sucked, you know, because I feel like, Oh my gosh, this show is good, This is exciting. You know, that we got this creature fucking feature going on stage and through the 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 two weeks of previews and uh, the influences of higher ups that thought you know large older audiences wouldn't get it or they would be too scary or it needed to sell differently all those voices were taken into account and then at the end when it opened
2: it was not scary you know I and that was such a bummer that sucked but it's like why make why would you make me a lukewarm cup of coffee
1: yeah hundred percent and it's a shame because (laughs) that could have been we could have filled that seat every night. You know, word yeah. travels in Chicago feeder of like, oh yeah, there's this like fucking monster show here. There's kitchen sink Let's monster show. It. Let's go watch yeah. it. Because if you're making it kitchen sink monster show, you're not making it for older audiences. Like the no. why even put it in the fucking program. <laughs> if you're not going to like lean into it, you know what I mean? Oh, no,
2: you got to get on Tinder and build a profile for it and let the college kids have it at it. Gotta let
1: the college kids have it
2: on this conversation of, audiences right it's that like as the as people who went to school and were trained in the for theater we are brought up like we are milk fed ghost stories we are milk fed like macbeth hamlet titus andronicus all um, of it uh, like these bloody revenge stories you know? right mm-hmm. like the lear like carrying cordelia's body like you have these these beautiful and tragic and epic pieces of theater. Mm-hmm. And like that old people can gobble up. Like they're cool with that because uh, there's enough of a safety blanket. You know what I mean? The language is weird. It's like, why not allow us that now more openly? Like how do we give each other that experience? And I, I do hope it changes as we... Me too. As we venture forward
1: because this is a cool, this is cool uh, medium. Stage productions. We got to support these arts because my gosh, there's uh, if you've never seen a really special play, I um, or musical or anything, I think it's it's unrivaled. You can't. It's like seeing a, some your favorite musician live. You know, it's like seeing it in person is a fundamentally different experience than watching well, like it at home.
2: Y- you know, you know the first time that you watched Chucky, right? But like you know, the first time that you saw Child's yeah. Play,
1: yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was my cousin who showed me Child's Play two uh,
2: when I was far too young. <laughs> Never forget it? <laughs> but you have that. But you have that intimate knowledge of like I know what this ha- when this happened, how this happened, what I ate that day. Exactly, like you have I know all of it. And when you go see a piece of theater or uh, an opera piece or something that uh, a live art that terrifies you like that. It almost like the experience feels doubled because it is so private. Even mm-hmm. like we talk about this now, and like if people wanted to see clips from Wondrous Strange, they don't exist. It's gone. Like, it is such an ephemeral piece that like only the people that saw it or worked on it can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And there's something so beautifully haunting about that in itself. Yeah. And
1: Yeah. I, I do, mean,
2: feeders are literally haunted houses
1: listen yes. you know yes. it is it is it is a place full of ghosts of shows past of performances past of audiences past that all went through shit and those profound experiences like they have to they have to stay you know that's why i think theaters are the spookiest places at night you know like oh man what these walls have seen but i need to get out of here yeah <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. but this this has been super fun so i hate to cut it cut it a little short but man we got we got we got uh you got me wanting to see theater again um so everybody yeah. take your vaccine real quick <laughs> let's get back take to it real quick. take it real quick and get that second one too and then we will get theater again and we can start making this stuff and going out and sitting in audiences again mm, that sounds so good
2: i am And we, are we, we're gonna, we're of course doing the final thing that we have to do here, right?
1: What was the final thing we have to do
2: here? We have to bring on the ghost light. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: Oh, it's a tradition in theater at the end of the night. You leave a ghost light on. So there's light on stage. And is that, is there more? There's probably ghost stories behind it too, right? It's more I think like I just safety. heard
2: something about it and have completely blocked it out. It's Everyone's like, you got you can't leave ghosts alone in the theater.
1: So you leave one like stage light on in the stage, so at the the, the theater is never dark. There's stories there, I'm sure. I'm, I'm. I think I'm giving the most like unromantic version it. of it. <laughs> but this is this is for the listener now. You have to do the homework. You have to do the homework. <laughs> <laughs> go go look up the ghost light in theater. But or to all the theater kids out there listening, hey, what's up? Tell um, us. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what we did wrong. So thank you, S.O. for coming on. And if you guys have any opera experiences or stage experiences with spooky, you know, moments, let us know. Hit us up at Happy Harvest horror show at gmail.com or look us up on the happy harvest horror show at instagram we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to keep this conversation going because listen we, we've been talking for like over an hour and i could go on all night this is this is exciting it's fun so thank you so much for joining me from new zealand literally across the planet
2: and we will thank get you, you so much for having me
1: yeah if there's ever any more production or stage stuff we have to talk about it. we're gonna get you back <laughs> you know we got it perfect perfect All right. Thank you so much. All right. See y'all next time. Bye. Bye.